Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. I'm going to go ahead and open us with some prayer, okay? I think that's a good way to start to start the message today. All right, I think we can all use a little prayer. Um, all right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. I know that you have a word to speak to us. I ask that you will prepare our hearts, open our hearts to what you have to say today, Lord. And I ask that you will just give me wisdom and uh, speak through me and make these your words and not mine so that um, we will just hear what you would have to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, who here knows that we live in a broken world? I think we've all experienced this to some degrees or another, right? Like, things just aren't quite right with the world. And I have to say, as I was preparing this message and talking with Jenny and stuff, I realized, like, I'm hitting on a pretty tough topic here because today I want to talk about how to respond to a broken world. And, you know, this may hit home with some of you more than others, um, but this may, this may rub some of you a little bit the wrong way, but I really want you to think about, like, what is God trying to tell you in this? Because this is not an easy topic. We live in a broken and hurting world, and the reason we know is because of sin, right? Like, you go back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. The world was perfect until sin came in the world, and, and that starts in each and every one of us, Right? Because each and every one of us are sinful. You know, there's not one righteous. No, not one. And the Bible teaches us that, like, each of us are fallen. Everyone has gone astray. And we need a Savior. And we know that. So I'm kind of starting at the answer a little bit here because, you know, I think the real answer to the world is Christ, right? And I think as a believer, hopefully you know Christ and you understand that Christ is the answer. But I think we need to dive a little bit deeper into this topic because it's real easy to say that God is the answer to the problem, so, you know, all right, we're done, right? But the the thing is, we live in this broken world, and there are lots of things that make us angry or upset or that just feel wrong. We feel the injustice, right? And I think, for me, when COVID hit, it really accentuated this issue, because growing up, I experienced some things, you know, I experienced some, some brokenness in the world, I had friendships, that, I had betrayals, I had, you know, there's things that happened in my life that I, I knew the world was broken. But none of those things quite compared to the brokenness I saw when COVID hit. And we've all had different moments in our life where we've really experienced severe brokenness in the world, right? But... COVID was such a widespread global thing. I remember, you know, I was the director of Westview on the James Camp. And we started battling in 2020 with what to do during the summer because COVID had started spreading and everything started getting shut down. And we were like, you know, this is our whole business, basically. Most of our income and the ministry and everything. It was all about the summer. And so we kept pushing it back. We pushed the start date back. We had meeting after meeting, months of talks about what to do, until finally the governor of Virginia said, no camps this summer. You cannot operate your camp. And man, it was a surreal experience for me, because all of a sudden, I had almost nothing to do. You know, my whole job was running this camp. 
and I had to lay off most of our staff, and, you know, we weren't getting any money. And, you know, we had to maintain the property, but, like, 90% of my workload was, was doing summer camp stuff. And so, like, all of a sudden, it was like, well, I don't have that much to do. Now, church stopped meeting in person. We did online stuff. Restaurants were closed. You couldn't go on vacation. I remember driving around town. It was like a ghost town. And it was like a surreal thing. And I never really experienced the brokenness of the world in quite the same way. I mean, you could look at the news. And you could see the streets of New York City were empty. There's like nobody. And, you know, I've had lots and lots of conversations since that point with people in different capacities. And one thing that keeps coming up over and over again is the brokenness of the world in one way or another. It might come out in frustrations over the way the country is going. It might come out in politics. It might come out in, in social justice movements or in different areas. It might come out in just the way we encounter people or, or different cultural battles or just something in our own hearts that's like it just something doesn't feel quite right, you know? And I've had people say this is like the toughest few years of their life. And it's just such a hard thing when we encounter the brokenness of the world. I, you know, I want to start by talking about like what is the answer, and then we'll circle back to it. So we talked about God as the answer, and I think specifically I want to hit on the greatest commandments. You know, Jesus himself was asked, what are the greatest commandments? I think most of you probably know these, but... He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this seems like an overly simplistic thing, but we're going to wrap around to why those are the answer to focus on for the brokenness of the world. And I was really like praying about what to preach on today, and I came across this podcast. And this podcast was all about the broken world, and it really went into depth about some of this. And man, it really touched me in, in my heart, and it said, this is what people have been talking about, but this, is, this gives a lot of the answers to it, and this gives a lot more of the thought process behind what is going on. And so today I want to talk about like, kind of putting my finger on what the world is saying and then how we're supposed to respond, because I think if we don't identify how the world is treating this problem, then it's really confusing, and it's really hard for us to separate out what the world is saying and the world is teaching us versus what God would have for us, right? And so I think sometimes identifying the problem and identifying like what exactly is going on is a very helpful thing for us. I know it is for me. So we're going to start with what is the world's response to a broken world? So there's, there's different beliefs and stuff within the world, but I think in large, you can look at in America, the viewpoint is pretty much secular humanism. Okay, and I'm going to define secular humanism today. It's, a, it's an overly simplistic definition, maybe, but it's the belief that the world is broken, but that we can fix it on our own. That's what basically secular humanism is. Now, sometimes God's in there, but usually it's God is not going to save us. We have to do it on our own. That's the idea. And when you look at the news today, and you look at social media, and you look at politics, think about it. It's all about what we can do to make things better, right? And there's arguments, there's division, there's debate, but it's all about what can we do to make things better. And you see it in, like, celebrities. They'll say things like, you know, 
be the change you want to see, or you can make a difference, or go out and vote and, and participate in everything. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not saying that getting involved is bad. And we're going to talk about that, because getting involved in the right way and trying to promote good causes, that can be wonderful. But what I am saying today is that those things right there, they are not the ultimate solution, right? They aren't the fix to the brokenness of the world. And, and our society and our culture says, God's not going to save us. We have to do it. And it puts all the pressure on us. And this is part of why we see such anger, right? Because if all the pressure is on us to fix it, when somebody else isn't doing what they're supposed to do, they're the problem. And the only way to fix it is to change that. And so it creates a lot of tension. Now, this, what does this view result in? It results in the idea that we have to do things to fix the problem. If we only educate people enough, if we only teach them, if we only elect the right people, if we only improve our laws and make our systems right, we can solve the world's problems. Think about what you're hearing all the time. Like, you're hearing debates about which laws are being passed or which politician is in charge, and the blame gets thrown around like, oh man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, well, this didn't happen when this person was president, or can you believe what's happening when this person's president, or this person messed it up? You know, they're looking to an individual or a political system to solve things, and they're blaming everything on the other side. That's what's happening, right? And the reason they're doing that is because they look at that as the answer to the problem. And it makes sense. If that's, if that's the answer, then of course you're going to be all worked up about that, if that's the answer to the world's problems. So there are some positives to this view, the world's viewpoint here. And I want to identify some of those positives. So first of all, the world recognizes that there's a problem, that we live in a broken world, right? The world is not saying everything's perfect. No, when you look, they're saying, yes, the world is broken and there's a problem. So that's a positive. They're looking to seek action to improve the world. And objectively, that is a good thing. There have been lots and lots of things throughout the course of history that have resulted in better lives, right? You drove here in a car today. That was invented by somebody. If you're listening online, the invention of the internet, electricity, those are wonderful things. There's great positives that we can do. I'm thinking about things like farming advances. We don't have to farm, nearly as many of us have to farm anymore because we have wonderful equipment to farm to feed the world. We have printing presses, we have telephones, we have planes, computers. We've eliminated some diseases like polio. There's a lot of great advances that come from us putting in the effort. And the world sees those and says, if we just keep doing that, then eventually we will reach a perfect society. The problem is, that's not true, because there is an underlying brokenness to the world that we are not the answer to. Only Christ can redeem the world. And so, what does this ultimately lead to? Ultimately, this leads to, first, a lot of pressure because the solution is all on us, right? Think about it for a second. I'm sure either you have felt this or you know somebody who has felt like, you've got to get involved, you've got to do this thing, whatever that thing is, because if you don't, the world is going to end, or worse, America, <laughs> right? You know, but that feeling, that feeling that you just have to do this thing, 
or you have to get involved in this issue, or things are over. It's like it's down the tubes from here. You have perpetual frustration and anger because ultimately, no matter how hard we try, we can't fix the problem. And you have the burden that if I don't do this, the world will end kind of feeling, right? And, you know, it's really, I think you see a few reactions. You see some people that, like, continually get more and more involved and they get mad that other people aren't. But then you also get the other extreme where I'm sure you've seen somebody that's, you know, maybe in the later part of their life, and they're like, you know what? I tried. I tried, but nothing I do seems to matter. So you know what? I'm going to save up my money. I'm going to buy a nice house. I'm going to buy a nice car. And I'm going to focus on myself and my family. I'm going to focus on the things that I can do. Because, you know, I can't affect the big things in society. I've tried. And you know what? I give up. And that's why a lot of times you see the younger generation has such passion about some issues. And then sometimes that's lost as they get older. And a lot of it is because people come to realize that the world has too many problems to fix. And I just can't do it. And so, you know, that's the other extreme, right? But you see both because they don't have the real answer. Now, is this really a surprise to us? If we look at Scripture, Scripture says in John 16, 33, I have told you these things that, you may, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the Bible promises that we will have trouble. This should not be a surprise to us. We will face trials. We will face difficulties. We will face brokenness in the world. But God has overcome the world. He is the Redeemer, not our actions. Let me say that again. God is the Redeemer, not our actions. Now, (laughs) it is very important to know that this does not mean we shouldn't do anything, okay? Our focus should be on doing the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I want to point this out here, because I think there's a, there's a very fine line here. Okay, What the world is saying is that we can fix it. What God is saying is that You can't fix it, only God can fix it, but your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if our eyes are set on Christ, remember the greatest commandments. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you are focused on him and pursuing him, he will give you the causes to fight for. He will give you the things to do, and those things are not in vain. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't get involved in these things. In fact, those are very good things to get involved in if they are of the Lord, but it's important to recognize that our efforts are not the solution. It's God that's the solution, right? So how does the church respond to this? I want to talk about, first, how a lot of the church has responded over the course of human history, and then I want to talk about what the Bible says and how we should respond. So I got this this term from the podcast. It's called churchianity. (laughs) And it's the idea that the world is bad and that it needs to be abandoned, okay? And we've seen this even starting in Judaism, but then in early Christianity all the way to today. The idea that we need to escape the world and that involvement in the world will corrupt us. This is where you hear the idea of like the Christian bubble, right? I'm sure you've heard of that term, 
but this is like, think about like monasteries and different, like even, even today you see certain communities um, that, like the Amish people, that like they basically say, we're going to do our own thing, let the world burn, we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have our own community, we're going to be more like Christ, but we are just going to separate ourselves from the world and not be involved with the world because we know the world is bad. And this viewpoint actually recognizes something deeper about the brokenness of the world. They recognize that the world has fallen and is, there's sin behind it all. And so they say, you know what? We reject that. We're going to get to know only other believers. We're going to be with them. And we are not going to be involved with the world. This results in, like I said, Christian bubbles. It results, I'm sure you've heard of things like you should never listen to any secular music because it's all evil, or um, you should withdraw, you shouldn't do any secular things because it's all, you need to have everything around Christ. And, you know, even the Pharisees in Jesus' time, they were like this too, because remember, they criticized Jesus for hanging out with sinners, right? They're like, how dare you go to that person's house? Do you know what they do for a living? Have, have you heard? Right? Yeah, and, and so this idea was going on back then. It was like, no, we are not going to associate ourselves with bad people or bad things. We're only going to follow Christ. The problem with that is Christ loves the world, and he wants to redeem the world. And so I'm going to talk about how we are supposed to act, but we, you know, it's, it's a flawed view to think that we are separate from the world and we shouldn't care about the world. I think I don't know if we have any Seinfeld fans in here. I was never a huge Seinfeld fan, but I think this, uh, this one scene was, was very telling of what can happen when you take this view to the extreme. So Elaine in Seinfeld was dating a guy, and he, he was a Christian. And she was like, I'm not a Christian. Don't you care that I'm not a Christian? He said, well, it's not my problem. I'm not going to hell. <laughs> and it was the idea that, like, I believe the right things, but, you know, that's all I need to do. Who cares about you? I've got it, I've got it straight, right? I mean, not my problem. And uh, the, the issue with that is that God cares about others. He wants, and he wants us to be part of the plan, right? He doesn't want us to form our own little bubble and don't interact with the world at all. Like, if you only have Christian friends and you only, you only stay in those circles and you never interact with the people that God loves then you are missing a huge part of that plan. You know, John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I'll get to 17 in a minute. But I want to touch something. We all, I'm sure you've heard this verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, right? But do you know the word for world in here is actually cosmos? And it's really interesting because... What it's saying is God so loved the universe and everything in it. He doesn't want to see the world burn. God wants to redeem the world. That includes everything and everybody in it. The second part, John 3, 17, continues this thought. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, God doesn't want us to step aside and say, you know what, we are the chosen few, we believe in Christ, that's good enough, we're going to heaven and the world's going to burn. No, God wants to save the world, he loves the world. Another verse that talks about this, about, about what we should do, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden, 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I think the concept here, again, there's a fine line, right? Because we are not supposed to be like the world. We are in the world, but we have been redeemed through Christ's blood. We are saved, if you believe in Christ. And so we are supposed to be different, but we are supposed to engage with the world. Romans 12.2 says this well. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, I'm bringing this back to the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the focus is on him and spending time with him. And by doing this, the Bible teaches us that we will transform our minds. We will continually do that by studying Scripture and focusing on Him and not on the things of this world. And that, you know, we will, we will have that transformation in our minds. And so then you will be able to tell what His good, pleasing, and perfect will is. But it does not mean we're supposed to be completely removed from the world either. You know, we're supposed to love the world. And you know, I think about how God feels about each and every person. You know, I've been working with the I've been working with the first impressions team and we've been developing a plan and stuff like that. And I think about like the people that come in the door and how God feels about them. I've got a I've got a story I want to tell you and it really helps me to think about people in my life who may be difficult. I mean, each of you have probably had somebody in your life who's hard to love, or maybe, you know, if you meet a certain type of stranger on the street, you can immediately tell, I, I don't really like this person very much. You know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's that you drive up behind somebody and they have some bumper stickers on the back of their car that are like the opposite of what you believe, and you're like, hmm, I'm not feeling so good right now. Or maybe it's the way they dress, or maybe the way they talk. And, you know, we've all had those moments where, like, somebody just rubs us the wrong way, Right? but I think it's really important to remember how God feels about that person. You know, I think about, I think about the, uh, the parable of, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the, 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 the prodigal son, that's what it is, the prodigal son who, who runs away and is living the wildlife, right? And the father welcomed him back and still loved him. And when you meet somebody, you might be meeting them in the middle of that wildlife, and you might be meeting them at that tough time. But how do we respond to them? And, you know, a story I heard when I was growing up, my dad used to use, he still probably does in some of his messages, but um, it's the story of this rich man. And this, this wealthy man had this son who, uh, who had some disabilities and was a little bit deformed, didn't look the best, and, you know, he struggled socially. And he, he just was somebody that, you know, was hard for people to really love, but the father loved his son, and, and his mom died, I think, in childbirth, but when he was young, and the father loved the son so much and took care of the son, and eventually the son passed away, and it was grieving to the father, and, and one day, eventually, the father passed away, and he had a huge estate, uh, lots of money, and so people came from far and wide to bid on his estate because he didn't have any heirs, and so it was all going up for auction, and, and so he was selling off, basically, once he passed away, they were selling off all his possessions. 
But the first thing to go up for sale before anything else was a painting of his son. And so they started the bidding out, and nobody was really bidding, and this, this one lady that had been the son's caretaker bid on the painting, and she bid what she had. She didn't have much, but she bid on it, and she won the painting. And the auctioneer said, before we go on with the auction, there's a letter I'm supposed to read. And he opened it up, and he said, it was from the father, and it said, whoever loved my son enough to buy this painting gets everything. And he said, the auction is over. And they ended. And that story really hits me because that is how God feels about each and every one of us. And not just us, but that's how he feels about that person that is hard to love in your life. And so when I think about the broken world, I think about two things. I think about the big picture, the world is broken and things are messed up. They're not the way they should. But I also think about the brokenness in each of us, that each of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think about that person that's hard to love, right? And, you know, a lot of, a lot of how the world views things and even how that, that churchianity view, it can draw us to anger and it can draw us to an us versus them feeling. Because think about it. If we are the solution, then we're going to be angry when somebody else is the problem, when they're not on our side. And we're going to be mad at them for not being part of the solution, right? But when the solution is Christ redeeming the world, that takes a lot of the pressure off of us. And God calls us to love them, love those people who are on the other side of things that don't agree with you, those difficult people. And so I think about that love son, and, you know, there's two ways we can practically look at that. One is, like, when people come into our lives, when people walk into the doors of the church that aren't like us, and maybe we don't agree with them, and we don't, we don't click with them, you know? But how are we treating them? Are we treating them like that son who God loves? Or are we treating them like a stranger? And the other thing is to go out into the world and love people. You know, the Great Commission, the last thing Jesus taught us before he went to heaven was to go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go. It's not just stay here, but it's get to know people outside these walls and to teach them about the love of Christ. Go and make disciples. It's building a relationship with them, getting to know them and love them. And that's one of the things I love about this church is Pastor Mike exemplifies this. He gets to know people and love people that are lost, and we send out missionaries, and you know, we do things, but you know what? It's not just Pastor Mike and the missionaries. It's you as well. We should all be doing this, right? And so loving the people that come into your life, regardless of what you first think of them, but also going out and loving the people out in the world and teaching them about Christ and sharing God's love with them, making disciples and, you know, being part of their lives. And so then the other part, the big picture thing, I feel like the way that we should respond to that is starting by kind of taking a step back and saying, you know, what is our role in this? Because I think a lot of times we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be part of the solution. I know there's definitely been issues and things I'm like, yeah, like, I feel like I need to solve this problem or I need to be part of it. And that's not necessarily wrong, but when we step back and we say, you know what, Jesus is the Redeemer. It's not my job to redeem the world. My job is to follow him and to serve him. And part of that will be to take action. 
but he's the redeemer. We get to be part of that story, and that's awesome. But that takes the pressure off of us because you know what? The world's going to keep having problems until God comes in the end and finally redeems the whole world. It's going to keep having problems. I think about the greatest rulers of all time. Think about the, your favorite president that's ever lived or you know, King David, for instance. Great ruler, right? It's awesome when we have a great ruler. But eventually, things are still not solved. Like, King David's son rebelled, and there was a civil war, and like, it was still a mess because there's still brokenness in the world. And there's still brokenness in our country, no matter who's in charge, and no matter what issues are going on, there's still brokenness because there's sin in the world, and Christ is the ultimate answer. So our job is not to redeem the world. Our job is to pursue Christ and to love one another. Back to those greatest commandments. It all really comes back to that. If we do those things and do them well, then we are serving God well, and, and we will be part of that redemption story. So I just want to wrap up by saying that if you are hearing this today and you're like, you know what, that's me. I'm, I've been wrapped up in feeling like I need to be the solution, but I don't know Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with Christ today, you can do that. It's not that difficult. You know, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you can follow Christ with your life instead of what you feel like is the right thing. And that can make all the difference in your life, that relationship with Christ. And that's what it's all about. And so I want to give you that chance today. If you have not done that, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and you can pray along with me. And we want to know about your decision because we want to follow up with you. And so if you do that today, come talk to me afterwards. Or you can go online and, and let us know you've made that decision at victorychristian.church. But the main thing is let us know because we want to celebrate with you and follow up with you and talk to you about your faith. So let's go ahead and pray, and feel free to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son to die for us. And I just ask that you'll forgive me of my sins, and I want to follow you with my life. I confess that you are Lord, and um, I just thank you so much for sending your Son to pay for my sins. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.